Hi, I'm Alan Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Hello, people. Happy whatever month it is, the end of July. Um, So we're getting into, we're actually getting into the first harvest, aren't we, Robin? Well, in terms of the hay, they've already had the first cut. They had the first cut, I think, because we had hay delivered on Sunday. And Mm. I think the guy said it had been cut in May. Mm. Yeah. And, oh, you know, when you get that first batch of hay and the smell, it's kind of almost like bread or biscuits or baking or something. I don't want to be anywhere else. I just, I'll just lie here and breathe. (laughs) (laughs) I said that was where I was going to sleep that night because it's just heavenly. But it smells because the the weather wasn't that great and we had to move the delivery because of the rain. But it smells of sunshine and warm fields. It does. It does. And, I mean, people will know it because you know the new grass smell when you've just cut your grass in your your house. This is that up 10 orders of magnitude. (laughs) And it's so sweet and... Mm. There's a dryness. That's why I think it's kind of like baking because it smells of that sweet, warm, dry, edible. Yes, very edible. Yeah. And not that it would do us very much good because we don't have all the right innards for eating hay, but still. (laughs) Not a long enough gut and the wrong flora. The wrong flora and fauna and everything. Yeah. We just weren't meant to do it. So, no. No, sadly. (laughs) No. So, yeah, and also Lammas is the old mm. first harvest. Yeah. Then there is autumn, the autumn equinox, which is second harvest, and Samhain, which is the third harvest in the old old ways um, that we know. But I've been out in the garden all morning, and Robin has been doing things too, and I'm into composting at the moment. I am very into composting. I was out in the garden this morning clearing one patch where it's got about 10 roses, 10 or 11 roses in it, and they're lovely. They're big, bushy roses, but they've all been swamped by um, nettles have come up, which I didn't want, and the grass has grown too long around them. And one of them, I haven't seen anything like it, it was being cuddled by a rosemary bush. I mean, the rosemary was literally with bits of rosemary around the bush. Mm. And it was sort of like, now, guys, guys, we can't do this. Because the rose was there going, I'm choking, I'm not getting any light. It's awful. I can't breathe. 
And uh, so it was like, <clears throat> make some space. I mean, of course, this meant you ended up with barrow loads of stuff, <laughs> which yeah. um, have gone to be composted. And so I was talking again on Monday with a group about composting. And probably several of you compost in your garden as well. And there is this thing about mixing your greens and your browns. So, you know, your green waste matter and your brown waste matter, which can be sort of twiggy, cardboard, dead leaves, that sort of thing. And your greens is like the fresher leaves and the stems. And It's, that. it's the wetter stuff, isn't it? Stuff. This yeah. is one of the big problems, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. the twiggy stuff is relatively dry and the greens is wet. Now, I do a thing called inner composting, which is very useful and people enjoy. And in that, because you've got four things in you, you've got your, your guts, your instincts, you've got your feelings, and you've got your thinking, your mind, and you've got your intuition. The two that usually give most people most problems are your feelings and your thinking. And your feelings in the system that I use, you can think of like the green, the wet green stuff, and your thinking is the dry brown stuff. And the mixing of those and how they work together is really important. I mean, you see this in your garden, don't you, when you do it? So what happens if I get too much green, if I get? Well, if you compost it, it's going to be mucky and slimy and probably quite smelly. Yep, I would run with the smelly, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hence the brown. And also if it's wet, it's, it's very compact and um, there's no air. That's it. Because the compost needs air. Yes. Because those little microbes, those Mm -hmm. wonderful little allies of ours, they need that air because they're not anaerobic. They need oxygen. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you get the anaerobic ones, and they're the ones that smell. And they're the ones that actually don't turn all the ex-garden rubbish and ex-kitchen rubbish that you put in there into good soil. Mm -hmm. They just end up being slimy stuff that no seed wants to grow in. I was no. about to say no self-respecting seed wants to grow. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's that slimy stuff, that slimy, smelly stuff, and you just know that it's not what you want. You mm. want the dry, really, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm of a certain age, so I think of David Bellamy, where he would just get his hands in. Yes. But that's the stuff you need that's dry and crumbly, and it doesn't have a smell, a nasty smell, it might have a a specific smell to it because everything does but it's not that horrible oozy stuff Mm. and you just look at it and you know that it's good yeah yeah and your plants know it's good don't they Mm. you know you pop something on into the compost that you've made or you grow your seeds in it and they go oh yeah this is all right we can do our stuff here and well, if it's anything like the piles that we have here, things just grow in it yes, because absolutely. you've got, particularly at this time of the year, you've got all the grass seed yeah. and the nettles, yeah, of course, and then you've got a bit of rain mm-hmm. and you've got a bit of sun and it all just woof. Yep, yep. And I mean, I I haven't got a big enough one 
here at the moment, but I have been known when it, when it's sort of grown stuff all over it, just to cut what has grown and give it a bit of a pull and leave it where it is. And yeah. I usually cover it up um, with something if I can. I mean, if, I, if I've got enough long grass, it's good to thatch it. But otherwise, if you just put something that is breathable over it, that helps it to go. Because again, you're so right, you need that air. And But if you, what happens if you get too much brown, if it's all dead twigs and dry leaves and... It's not going to go anywhere. No, doesn't it? Because it needs something. Much, it needs it? <laughs> it needs to be kind of seeded in its own way with the flora and fauna. Yeah. So that things like in our gut start to be digested and broken down. And this is where the microbes. This is what I love. There are friends. There are allies because they do this for us. Fungus and molds, and they're not something that we need to shy away from, be afraid of. They actually work for us because if we didn't have them, what kind of a world would we be living in? There'd be just piles of detritus everywhere. It wasn't going anywhere. No, that it was never going to deteriorate, break down, and then give life to other things. And we see it in forests and people are more aware of if a tree falls, leave it. Yeah. You don't have to tidy everything away in your garden too. You don't have to have a pristine garden. You can leave maybe a corner at least to be wild. And then you get the wildlife come in, you get the worms, you get the fungus, you get you start to see everything. the natural cycle and process of things and how it's designed to work and how it works for us. And they've known this for hundreds of years with gardening because the first fertilizers were um, muck. Yeah, oh, muck and um, the dead vegetation. Yeah, and stuff that you didn't of, use from the plants. Yeah, and the bits of twigs that you weren't going to use, and um, bark and tree and all that kind of thing. The stuff that you didn't use, and it's like what happens in the forest, isn't it? Because, yes. you know, your beautiful flowers, your bluebells and your um, anemones and all the things that grow in the forest, then they die down and they become the green. And then the twigs and the leaves fall and they become the brown in the forest. So it's a natural process. And you just think, I, when I was at school, they sent us out and said, just collect a handful of leaf litter. Yeah. And bring it back. Yeah. And it's like you can see these little bug hotels and things. Or you have a maybe a log that's from a tree that's fallen or it's been left in your garden just to naturally break down. And you find so many things, little insects and millipedes and all sorts just crawling around in there. Oh, it's so rich. It is. And if you're able to get you know, a really good, you know, either a, a lens of some sort or if you've actually got a microscope and you can put a bit of it under there. And I, I've been there, so you have too. Yeah. I'm just going, oh, wow, that is so beautiful because it yes. is. This little microcosm that most of us, we, we just don't think about it. We, we don't have the eyes that are strong enough to see them <laughs> with the naked eye. So when we can get a lens or get a microscope, it just opens up this whole new, like a whole new universe. It is, isn't it? Microverse. Yeah, it, it's almost like, I mean, I remember the first time I, I saw things under a microscope like this, and it was almost like I'd just gone out into space. Yes. Because 
it was all working. It was all moving because it's yeah. living stuff, you know, in a Petri dish like you from Leaf Litter. And it's like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. We just have no concept of that unless we are fortunate enough to get to see it. And I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but there was a brilliant movie recently called Fungi, I think, just yeah, plain Fungi. It is still on, yeah. Fabulous <gasps> movie to watch it. if you're interested in that kind of stuff. And, I mean, even if you never thought you'd be interested, watch it. Yeah. You find you are. <laughs> you're mesmerised, aren't you? And I remember when I was a child, my grandfather bought subscription of National Geographic and there were slime molds. There was an article on slime molds. These things that they aren't animal and they aren't plant, but they're alive and they move. And (laughs) And they are so ancient. Yes. The slime molds are before plants and before animals. And... You know, so it's it's quite hard to actually call them animals or plants. They have their own classification, really, don't they? They they are a bit beyond it, really, for well, the classification that we've got at the moment, but because they're so old, and you think this is where life came from. But this is where we've evolved. They came first, and then we've evolved alongside of them. And they are our allies. Yes. So our body uses them. Mm. We've got receptors on our cells. We can interact with, and there's a whole big, I know that it's been around for a while, but it seems to be becoming more mainstream to use psychedelics now, Yeah. which is part of the fungi movie, but also just plants and how all of these things can be our medicine. They we we take them in and they support our well-being but also funguses like um athlete's foot and stuff they yeah. help when we're in healing phase if we've had something going on in our body that the body then wants to release we do that by things like bacteria and fungi we do indeed and it's we think we live sort of separate i mean we you know there's all the like detol adverts adverts all over the yeah. tv you know this kills 99%, kills 99% of all known germs i know that's not detol but and whichever one it is no but that that, that whole idea that phrase is like what and because part of what they're killing is these incredibly valuable tiny microbes that are yeah. actually there to help us. Yeah. And I was just thinking today, because it's like you said earlier, it's it's actually warm today. Surprise. Yes. Um, I know I've got long sleeves on, but you know, that they're, they're quite thin enough to be okay. And there are quite a lot of flies around. Now, people, oh, horrible fly. Oh. Uh, I must admit, I was having a bit of a fight with that in the garden because there I was sort of releasing roses. Um, and there were some rather cross flies around. There was one that kept flying into my ear. <laughs> That's a little bit uncomfortable because you just hear the buzz. Get out of my ear. <laughs> I'm trying to do something. Get out of my ear. Get out. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't hate flies. And it's quite fascinating sometimes. I and mean, I was watching one just for a Kemings. I had a friend around helping with the garden. We just had lunch and things. And so we'd had lunch on the table and we hadn't wiped the table yet. And on the table. And she's like me. So we just watched the fly. 
and it was going round everywhere, which could microscopic little drops of food that we'd fallen off the plate or whatever had happened. And really, I'm not sure I could see them. I mean, I knew there must be stuff there, so I was about to wipe the table. Um, But it found them, and it was eating them. And eating them means that it was actually clearing up after me. And this is, you know, people say, what's the point of flies? Well, actually, they clear up after us. And it's like there was a story about vultures in Africa. We may have talked about this before and how they they weren't aesthetically pleasing. And if people were going for safaris, they didn't want to see the vultures. They wanted to see the big cats or the elephants or whatever. So they tried to eradicate the vultures, but then there was nothing to clear up the carcasses. And I was just thinking about this yesterday. These animals and the fungi, they come in and they take away the things that we need to have taken away, but they transmute them. They turn them into something that we can then use. So the fungus breaks down the tree and turns it into the compost, and we can then use that to help to grow our vegetables, whatever. Yeah. And like I have uh, tomatoes here, I have blueberries, and they love banana skins. Yes, they do. Banana skins are actually very good. And you sort of, and this annoys me because you get some of these gardening programs and groups that say, oh, don't put banana skins in your compost. Um, they take longer than some other things to, to get done. But the microbes and everything else, the bacteria, they love them and they do turn them. They do use them and work them. But I Well, s- I put banana skins in my pots and they disappear. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah, yeah. And you actually use them as a base for your um, putting your soil in and then your seed or your, your young plant. Yeah. Well, it's when the fruit is starting to ripen. Yeah. Because it's good for the fruit yes, on, on those exactly. bushes that I, I put them in. And a bit of rain and time. But also it's like when we use pesticides and we use antibiotics, Mm. these things aren't selective. No, they're not. So antibiotic is antibacteria. That's what the word means. But it doesn't choose between what we call the good and the bad bacteria. Mm. It just wipes them. Mm. And unfortunately, we need some of what we tend to think of as the bad bacteria. To me, there aren't good and bad, they're just bacteria. Yeah. It's just keeping the, the balance as healthy as we can. But they kill off things like TB bacteria, yeah. of which there are many kinds that work in different parts of the body. But if we don't have those, they're not there to support our healing and to remove the things that we no longer need. Yeah. Yeah. Because we if, we all have things growing in our bodies, Absolutely. cancers and tumours, that will come and go and come and go and they won't necessarily develop into anything life-threatening nope absolutely but how do they go they don't go by themselves they go by the aid of working with the bacteria yeah but if we don't have those bacteria because we're using antibiotics too much then they encapsulate and here we go so they're still in the body and if that's a growth you don't necessarily want it inside because it'll be getting in the way it does and when it gets in the way it gets life-threatening well, it can do. It doesn't always. But yes, it's not. I personally wouldn't like the thought of it staying there when I could have had I could have dealt, dealt bacteria come and help me to get rid of it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly so, exactly so. I was thinking about your vultures, and I know the story too. And part of the story, it was in the part of Africa where um, the wildebeest do their long migration and they go across, is it the Zambezi River? It might be. It's a big river for sure. I don't know which one. Famous rivers. Mm. And the river is, um, at that time, full of crocodiles. Yeah. Crocodiles actually only need to eat about once a year. And this is how they're made. And so, you know, the harvest of wildebeest comes along. This is time for crocodiles to get their annual meal. So most of the wildebeest, well, probably at least two thirds, if not three quarters, get across, but not all of them. Some of them get eaten. And some of them get partially eaten. And bits will float down the river. And those are the bits or the bits that are up on the bank that the vultures then whoa, we'll deal with that. We'll get down there and eat it. And as you said, they're not particularly pretty. And your tourist doesn't want to see vultures eating half a dead beast. Um, I don't know quite why they don't want to, because that's what they're out there for, surely, to see nature? No, it's to see pretty things. But it's different seeing, a, for some reason, we we as humans and as westernised, domesticated socially conditioned humans have categorized things yeah and decided what's good and bad and what we want to see and what we don't want to see what is uncomfortable for us and we've put loads of things into that so we put death in there we put grieving in there but vultures no we don't want to see vultures because they're ugly according to us versus a big cat so a lion with a kill it's not I think we seem to view very differently. Yeah, especially if it's a lioness and there's a couple of cubs around. <laughs> yes. so they're, they're and the aesthetically pleasing there. cubs, yes. And yeah. um, but anyway, they did, as you say, they I think they pretty well wiped the vultures out, poisoned. Yeah. So not yeah. even a nice death. And then, of course, the cycle went on. The wildebeest kept on doing their migration and the crocodiles kept on getting their annual dinner. And there was nobody to clear up the mess. So the mess stayed in the river and the river kept on flowing. So the flow took all of this poisoned and polluted water down to the next settlement and down to the towns and started killing the people. And also... If you think of um, times when you get algae overgrowth or yeah. rivers change colour because like uh, when we have rains here and we've put chemical fertilisers oh. on crops, yeah. the rains wash those off, they wash off the topsoil because we don't, when we have a crop, it's like a row and yeah. then all in between is bare soil. And also the so that all gets washed soil. away have very shallow roots because we dig them up yeah. every year. Yeah. So they never have a chance to grow decent roots to hold the soil. To hold the soil, to stabilise that. So it all gets washed away and that flow goes into the rivers and down into the oceans and we get all sorts of pollution going on. Lots of pollution and lots of poisons and things that actually do affect us. Well, yeah, if they're a pesticide... 
they work on the pests or what we decide is in that category. Yeah. Yeah. They work on those insects mostly by and um, cellular organisms by exploding them. Yes. So our guts are made up of cells. And it, okay, we we have more of them, and we are a bigger creature, and potentially it won't harm us to the great degree of dying, but it still causes impacts. It does, and we have so many people now who are suffering things like leaky gut and IBS. It makes me question how much of that. I know there's other issues going on, stress and so on, but how much of that is also to do with the fact that our diet isn't as nutritious as it used to be, and that it's covered in all of these sprays. I think covered in all of these sprays is a big one, and we're not growing food that we we eat baby food. Um, in that sense, we really do, because a carrot, you see a, a fully grown carrot that has been going for a few years. When so, we moved in here, the people who had been living here before had planted up, we've got some veg plots down there, they planted with carrots and beetroot, can't remember what else. The carrots were like this, they were woody and old so we cut them yeah. up and give them to the horses the beetroots were literally the size of footballs yeah yeah and i had never realized that size. oh um i did because of having um gardening uncles and things who um would let things grow but those things actually hold the soil mm. and they actually help the water and the minerals and the food go across the soil and they eventually get linked up to, we're back to fungus again, aren't we? They get linked up to the fungus and the whole thing happens. And I think people don't realise that most of the food we eat, and that includes the meat most people eat, um, is not even teenage, really. No. I mean, you're... Your cabbages are not, your carrots are not, your cauliflowers are not. Um, but if you think of the names for things, lamb, what is a lamb? It's a baby it's sheep. a young sheep. It's not a sheep. So if you're eating sheep, that would be mutton. Yeah, or if you're doing really well, it'll be, what's the hell's the three-year-old? I don't know, I don't eat meat. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, it's... That was when you were eating meat that was grown up. Yeah. Um, it's the same with fish. Yeah. If you do you know, I mean, yeah, I know you do, but I wonder how many people know how big a fully grown cod is. Whoa. <laughs> big as me. Mm. Yeah. And same with lobsters. Mm. A fully grown lobster is like that. You don't see them very often anymore, though, do you? Because we've. It's weak. Don't let them grow. Take them before they get to that stage. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes you sort of wonder. And when they they die, they get taken up and eaten by not vultures in Britain because we don't actually have any. They do in France. So vultures go and eat things in France. Um, But they get eaten by all the smaller stuff. And then, I mean, you might get eaten by a fox because you found a skull 
today that isn't a fox, but um, it might have been brought there by a fox. And, and we have some big birds of prey. We might not have vultures, but we've got kites and we've got buzzards. So buzzards mm-hmm. carry and feeders. Yeah, we do too here. Mm-hmm. So, and ravens we've got. Yeah, carrion crows again, carrion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So These are our cleanup crew. Happen. And that takes us back into compost rather nicely because, of course, they eat them like we do and they get all the goodness that they need. But the stuff that they eat that is actually not any good for them, just like there is for us. And, I mean, you can eat your cabbage, but there'll be bits of it that don't You can't digest. They don't go into your digestive system. They don't mingle with your blood. They don't go build your organs. And if our guts are working properly, we get rid of those cheerfully, hopefully, um, every day in what? Robin and I are quite happy to call shit. It's an old Anglo-Saxon word. It means feces. And so we are getting rid of our shit every day, our physical shit from eating. The animals are. That goes, for the animals particularly, that goes back onto and then into, it goes onto the soil. And then the beetles and the little creatures and the worms come up and they actually eat it and they bring it down into the soil and it goes through them. So it's processed again and goes out into the soil. And that is what grows our lovely fruit and veg that we eat. So it's like getting a whole new composting for me is like getting a whole new relationship. And you were saying about the life, death, life cycle or death, life, death, cycle. Yeah, like death, whichever, yeah. whichever way you want, one you want to start from. Um, that is happening in us all every day. Mm. And I mean, your horses, they produce muck. They do rather a lot of it. I know my friend, she hers do. (laughs) We have neighbors and people from the community who come and they take it for their garden because we've got quite a lot of people around here who have allotments and grow their own fruit and veg and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're always coming up here and getting a trailer load or a few bags, few bags worth. Yeah. Because they know that it's really valuable stuff and they've seen the results. My horses are just living very naturally outside 24-7, 365. They get organic food. There are no real sprays around here. So it's just grass and hay and a few bits of supplements. And so that's what's in their food. Yeah. I keep as many chemicals away as I possibly can. Yeah. And just occasionally you might need an antibiotic if something is particularly bad that needs to be stopped before. You know, I was thinking of, I was thinking of a friend whose who's horses, um, her, one of them split, split a hoof. And um, he's not going to be able to, to work or do very much for a year while it all grows yeah. out. But, of yeah. course, at the beginning, it was part of, like, keeping it clean because otherwise it would just spread up the leg. Well, they're amazing because my two have both had abscesses, Mm. which then burst. And we are told, and this is what I had heard before I had horses of my own and before I had them here, that, you know, you you put, you actually put a nappy on their foot. That's right. 
a nappy has all of that gel that draws yeah. all the toxins out, I was told, and you have to keep it clean and you bathe it. My two won't let me near them, but they've never had a problem because they are working very naturally with their environment. And I guess with the bacteria. And if you think back or, you know, think about native peoples who are still living out in the rainforest or whatever, what do they use? They use plants. They use mosses. They use bark for making teas. If you ever go to a Chinese medicine shop, you'll see all the array of wonderful things that they use plants all the, all the plants that they use. So nature is very good all on her own. And I have regularly had cuts and things and I just go up to the fields and I pick and I wash my hands when I come back. I wash my hands before I eat. But getting all that muck in small cuts and stuff, I've been worried in the past and people have said to me, you'll get infection. I yeah. never have. No, I never have either. I mean, I, I, I have a small wound here where a rose bit me um through my glove um yeah uh, so this one was a bit cross of being neglected for so long so I did say sorry after I'd said ow a lot and yeah um, <laughs> uh, but I haven't done anything to that wash my hands when I came in but I was wearing gloves as well and my immune system is getting stuff from the garden, the herbs, all the time, as yours is. And there's the old one, you know, you'll let your food be your medicine, your medicine be your food. So if you're eating well, you'll be able to work with those bacteria and they won't come along and, and damage you. They will just do the healing. And in the work that I do, we don't get sick because of what comes in. We get sick because of what's inside. So if we're holding stress, we go through a period of time when the body's making changes, adaptations to support us. There's always a purpose to what our body does. Yeah. So it's making adaptations in order to support us to deal with, cope with that stress in some way. And then when that stress finishes and is passed and the body needs to get back to balance it has to undo all those changes yeah. and that's where we get the bacteria coming into play the fungus because yeah. they help us to undo all of those changes yeah. and unfortunately that can be rather unpleasant yeah. uncomfortable hence dis-ease yeah. and that's where we can have symptoms but those symptoms are just saying well your body's detoxing yeah Coming back. Your body's going through a healing process. And unfortunately, we don't get told that. We get told pain is not something that you want to experience. So have these painkillers. And absolutely, there can be a place for medication because sometimes if it's a very intense stress, the healing will be very intense and it will either be exceptionally uncomfortable or even life-threatening. Yeah. So sometimes we need to take action, like with maybe the antibiotics for that horse or painkillers. I'm sure horse hooves, when they split, they're exceptionally painful. Well, he was in a bit of a state, yes. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. So there's a place for medication, but also there's a place for trusting that the body's doing its natural and normal thing. And when we can look after it, give ourselves the rest, the space, the time, the compassion, the gentleness. And if we're up to eating, the right foods. And when we're stressed, generally what we do is we reach for caffeine and we reach for sugar because they're the quick energy fix and they help us to do the fighting or the flight fleeing. Yeah. 
But in the second phase, either we don't want to eat because we're not feeling very well, or if we do want to eat, what we want is those nutritious things. So it might be the the uh, kind of people talk about chicken soup, don't they, or chicken noodle yeah. soup. Yeah. But for me as a vegan, it would be um, nice chunky vegetable soups or stews or casseroles something that's really warming and full of all those vitamins and minerals so eating the rainbow basically yeah whereas uh, for me who is not a vegan um at all um i'm paleo keto um i will go for because uh, i'm able to get actually lots of people could um fresh wild venison yeah and there's more and more of it available now isn't there well there's actually getting sensible that you know we actually do have too many deer because we don't have any lynx and we don't have any wolves and the, the deer are actually eating us out of trees which is actually eventually eating us out of oxygen um so and it's not doesn't do the deer very much good to be in a huge herd where there's too many of them so that lots of them miss out so uh, people that I know, they've got very good deer stalkers and they go out and they will kill the deer at the right time. So I mean, nobody kills a, a young female when she's pregnant or when she's got babies or anything like that. Um, it's all sorted on that level. But these creatures have been out eating wild food. Yes. They've been and they've been living a natural life. They've been living an unstressed, unmedicated life. Yes. So we get all of that natural goodness. And the other thing is they also, because I, I know that I've been out with these people, when they, they shoot them, they are very good shots. Yeah, and clean. Totally clean. I mean, you get a really good one. They will either put a, a bullet straight in the heart or... Um, one of my friends, he normally takes them straight through the eye. Yeah. And the animal jumps, which is a sort of shock reaction, and then falls down. And they all use silencers on the guns. So it doesn't distress the rest of the herd. And the rest of the herd are, oh, Fred's gone. Oh, all right, back to eating. <laughs> and it's like, whoa. Because there's again, if an animal dies in stress, it's full of adrenaline and other. Yeah. And, and I have a friend whose husband is a butcher, and he actually is a very high level butcher. He trains people to be butchers. Yeah. And he was saying, which I had never realized this is some time ago, that when you cut open a carcass to butcher it, you can tell was this animal a stressed animal or a not Absolutely. stressed animal? Absolutely, you can. Yeah, the color, wow. color and scent that do that. I mean, yeah. I have yeah. I have butchered deer um because i wanted to learn and i used to be strong enough to do it um and you you absolutely it's fascinating mm -hmm. and in the old ways they call it unmaking mm -hmm. which is really lovely and you can tell whether the deer was healthy whether it was stressed um how it had lived all from colors and tastes and smells that you will get as you open the animal up that's really interesting because if you can do that with a deer, it's another mammal. You can do that with us. Yes. So to think that the body, you might not see it on the outside. Sometimes you will because if we've got uh, disturbances in your balance, it'll show quite often in your skin, in your hair, in your nails. Mm -hmm. But not always and we don't always notice. 
but that you can see it in the very tissues in the fascia because the fascia gets That's it. dry and tight and you can see it in the muscles and you can see it in the bones and you can see it in the color of the tissues yes. and you can to a degree if you look in the eyes or your gums or yeah because i learned to do that with horses when i did my training absolutely you can do it with your dog you can you know any animal you can look at these tissues <laughs> well it depends on the cat some of them a ragdoll cat maybe but not the cat that we had no and they've got sharp teeth dogs too so if you know be careful if you're going to be doing this but how we can tell and how many different colours there are to a healthy gum versus an unhealthy gum. Yeah. And it's fascinating stuff. It is. And then there's the totally amazing thing which people sort of go, oh, at, is that is the Bristol stool scale. Oh, yes. Very important. Which is totally vital. Now, when I was little and probably when you were too, when you went to the doctors, the doctors looked in your mouth, looked at your tongue, told you to say ah, took your pulse, and also asked your mum what your shit was like. Yes. Well, my mum asked regularly because my mum worked in the medical profession. Yeah, yeah. My mum, can I just interject with a little story? My mum had a stroke recently and oh. she uh, she's fine. Okay. She was in the hospital and, you know, they would come around every day and they would ask very discreetly, have your bowels moved and how was it? <laughs> and this brought back a memory of a story that her boss, when she worked in a hospital, told. Because when he was very small, he was having his tonsils out, I think. So he was in hospital mm. and there were all the boys lined up in the beds. Mm. And the nurse would come around every morning. So his first morning, they came up and said, have your bowels moved? And he, and the nurse was distracted and called away or something. So he turned to the boy in the bed next to him and said, what does that mean? And the boy said, I don't know. But if you say yes, it makes them very happy. <laughs> so all of these boys had no idea what the question was. So they weren't answering the question, but they were all just saying, yes, nurse. <laughs> Oh dear, um, we, we think we're being so proper and all this sort of thing by saying, have your bowels moved today? And um, Well, yes, I got up and did a walk, so obviously they came with me. You know? <laughs> I didn't leave them behind. Honestly. No, honestly, I didn't leave them in the chair, it was fine. <laughs> and <laughs> Whereas, you know, you, if you're a little bit more basic about the whole thing, yeah. your child would understand. I mean, we, I was, you know, and... The doctor would usually sort of literally say, and how is her shit, you know? And mum would say, it's a bit off, it's a bit smelly, it's it's a bit greenish coloured or too pale or something like that. Well, she hasn't been this week. Exactly, yeah, which did happen at one point. Um, and the doctor would know so much about it. Yeah. And what set me off with a little story um, being paleo keto, I've been paleo for quite a long time, but um, getting the whole thing together was that I have rheumatoid arthritis, uh, osteoporosis, and I did have diabetes and IBS and a couple of other autoimmune diseases. And I took medications for them because if I didn't take the medications, I decided life wasn't really worth the effort, which is not good. And so I thought, actually, I don't like this. You know, come home with a Sainsbury's bag full of meds, you know, and think, really? 
And so I started to read and read and read, and there was stuff and stuff, and, you know, you go through Google and libraries and everything. And eventually I started to find doctors who were actually talking about leaky gut, as you were earlier. And so, interesting. And I found a couple of doctors who were very readable, but they also talked you through the whole chemistry Mm. of what was actually going on and what was making what happen. And because one of the worst things, I mean, (laughs) we were laughing about hay and that we loved the smell of it, but actually we didn't have any of the right innards to eat hay. (laughs) Well, in a sense, people do because you eat bread. And bread is effectively made from a grass. Yeah, it's not the stalk, but yes. No, but the seeds, and it's the seeds that have, and grass is actually quite an aggressive plant. Oh, it is. That's why it's so successful. Exactly. And it fights for its life. Yeah. It wants to be, it wants its seeds to be transported and taken around, but it doesn't want them to be destroyed when they go through a creature's gut. And whether it's a bird or a horse or whatever. So it's got all sorts of mechanisms, including poisons, um, which make sure that somehow it gets out as whole as possible at the other end. And, of course, it, it turns up, too, in a nice little packet of fertilizer so it can seed, you know, grow really well. And we have to process wheat it's grass that we call wheat um incredibly before we can eat it because we have to take the outer shells and things which are all actually spiky and we'll go through you have to take all the poisons out and everything like this so and if you don't they come through and they affect your autoimmune system and since what i had was autoimmune diseases i thought i think i'd better read this so i did and I got myself, I don't eat carbs now at all. Because the same thing happens in a smaller degree when you eat beans, because beans are also defensive and they have the mechanisms. And carrots and things like that are quite they starchy. Yeah, the root they're vegetables. very starchy as well. They don't have quite the same mechanisms. No, and they're not seeds. They're a different part of the No, they're a root, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, okay. I won't eat them. It's it's quite a um, a cold turkey process, actually, getting yourself off bread and carbs and it is. yeah, it's huge. Because I, I went off milk mm. because I was diagnosed with um, lactose intolerance. Yeah, but the guy that I went to see back in the day when I was diagnosed, he said it's actually probably not the milk per se. It's the fact that the cows are eating the grass that has been so sprayed so highly sprayed yeah yeah Yeah. so there's there's the whole toss-up about what is it exactly and probably various elements that our bodies are responding to so if you're thinking of grass and wheat it's sprayed and they spray glyphosate on wheat to make it wilt in order to make it easier to harvest so we're taking that in as well and, and everything that they put on the plant, you can't wash it off because it goes into the cells. Into, yeah. So there, there are even there's a website and it's the Dirty Dozen, fifteen clean or ten clean or something. So you can see which 
because it, it changes over time which are the cleanest vegetables which are the least sprayed mm. and which are the ones that you probably want to buy organic so if you don't want to buy everything organic or you can't afford to buy everything organic mm. but even organic there's a certain question mark over how unmolested it is because it might be blown in or washed in with weather and stuff. But there is this thing too. I mean, I only ate organic bread from organic flour, which was actually grown in this country because I, I knew how to do it. And I'd done that for 20 years. And when I stopped eating it, I no longer have diabetes. I no longer have IBS. I no longer have another couple of diseases that I had. And I tried this. I thought, okay, because I've got some friends around, they were eating toast. And toast is, you know, like one of those smells. That's because, oh, yes. <laughs> I don't I, I, Toast is always a disappointment. It smells it's, wonderful. It's, and when I eat it. It's not quite so. No. Anyway, I thought, no, I, I, I'm going to try eating bread. So I started eating bread again. And I was so ill. I got all the old symptoms back, even the beginnings of diabetes, which scared, excuse me, scared yeah, the shit out of me because you've been from <laughs> that. And um, so I thought, right, that's it. So I had to go through a, a mini process of um, effectively detoxing, detoxing again. my body again. But it is about this. It, this was stuff that had not been sprayed. But even then, because our bodies make so connections, I'm, I'm I I take what you're saying. But yeah. having looked at the um, workings of the grass seed and what it can do, I think certainly for me and for quite a lot of people, that is what did it. But you shouldn't. I'm not saying that's not true. You shouldn't be eating yeah. stuff that's been sprayed. No, we we, we are designed, yeah. and I I do this with uh, when I'm working with people around animals mm. specific. Um, sorry, species-appropriate nutrition. Yeah. So horses, grass, and hay, mm. rather than molasses, because yeah. they're not designed to eat sweet foods. Yeah. And or cats must. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cats must have meat. Yeah. Without dogs, less so, but cats must, and they must have cat food, not dog food, because the it's percentage different. of meat. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like working and it's different it's differently processed yeah yeah um, but and we have our own food yeah. and they say that if you are born in a location like we're in the uk mm -hmm. eat uk mm -hmm. or european food absolutely if you're born in australia eat australian, australian food. food if you're born in america but we don't do that anymore do we because we ship food all over the world, all over the world. but yeah. also when we're shipping it we put preservatives on it and do all sorts and lemons for example i need to be careful not to buy the waxed lemons because that's not vegan yeah. which is great because i don't want waxed lemons anyway but no yeah it is it is being careful like that and if you eat the food of the country that you're living in then you will it helps you. It gives you its immune stuff that will help your immune system, and you acclimatize to that. I mean, one of the um, standard ones, which you probably know, is if you suffer um, from like hay fever type eye problems, um, which I do, if you take honey from bees local to you, 
that are bringing in that pollen. It will help you manage your condition, if not clear it up altogether, which it does in a lot of cases. But there are also the some, fact... If you take some of, you know, you'd say, oh, I want um, Makuba honey, you know, from South America. That won't work because we're not in South America. Different pollen, different flowers. And this is where it's really difficult because we find these things that are very good. Mm. Manuka honey is great for wounds and things, but they may have done that experimentation and research in its native country. Yeah. We are designed, and I was listening to a friend of mine who's uh, an aromatherapist recently, and she was saying, here in Europe and in the UK, mm. we work with lavender oil. Yeah, lavender oil is our go-to oil Absolutely. because we have evolved alongside those plants, and we are interconnected. We can yeah. use the properties of those plants because we're so close to them. Yeah. In Australia, they use tea tree. Yeah, because, because that is their go-to, and it's grown in their country and in their climate and everything. Yeah, but there's also when you talk about things like allergies, a hay fever, all those things, our body is responding because it's made a connection. Yeah. So we have connected that pollen with a stress. Yeah. And if we can remove the stress, the pollen no longer affects us. Because I used to get, when I moved to England, first of all, mm. from Ireland before moving to Wales, I suddenly got terrible hay fever. Never had had it before and used to spend lots of summer holidays out in fields and all the rest of it under trees. Moved here, trees were my worst, lime trees particularly. Oh my God, yes, yes. And I, my eyes would be out to here, my throat, I would get blood blisters in my throat mm. and in my mouth and it was so itchy and I would sneeze and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sleep at night because I would be sneezing so much. Mm. And essential oils actually helped with that. Yeah. But what really got rid of it for me, because I don't take any medication before, anymore, and I used to take medication and felt like it didn't touch anything. Yeah. Now I don't take medication because I did EFT. Yeah. Because the EFT addressed the stress. I don't even particularly know what the stress was. Mm. I didn't need to. Mm. And this is where I love techniques such as EFT, because you don't necessarily have to relive whatever was so upsetting. Yep. You can just tap and breathe, tap on how you're feeling right now. So I just tapped on, my nose is really itchy. My eyes are really itchy. And it brought the symptoms down to the point where I might sneeze once. Yeah. yeah. And I don't need medication anymore. And the techniques that I use, I, I don't use the FT. I, I know it and I know it works and that sort of thing. But um, the basic exercise that we were all trained in, in, in the village that my people use, which is a, a breathing exercise, and it's a connection exercise, which connects you to the earth and to the sun and then to everything around you. And at first, it takes you a bit of time to get used to doing it. But most people that I, I work this with, all, with clients all the time, most people within two weeks, if not before, they've got it. So, you know, they feel it start coming on. They're out in the garden mowing the lawn or something, feel something like it start coming on. Stop. You're okay. This is what I love about the whole plant thing. Yeah. That if we're eating and using the plants in our own environment, we're connecting with that yeah. nature. And 
it's all about whatever technique you use it's about getting back to that sense of connection and that sense of safety because in those two we can let go of the stress we don't you know it's not it serves a purpose when we have that stress we're in fight or flight for a reason or whatever stress wake up you need to you need to stop doing this and just have a quick take a moment as they say yeah and um right ah now i can see clearly yes now i feel connected now i feel rooted now i feel grounded now i feel safe i don't need all of that stuff anymore and that's really what my me i carried me for a long time and then i was able just to put it down because i realized i don't need this anymore yes yeah so So it's such a sense of freedom isn't it it is and so many of the things that we feel well we feel like like the stresses that we have in life they can actually be like protection mechanisms we've built up yeah well they're our armor aren't they yeah yeah and Brene brown in her braving the wilderness talks about armoring up not to <laughs> it's armor such an up, alchemical not to thing up, to me yeah not to shrink back and what i love when she comes you know she's worked through she talks about having a strong back a soft front and a wild heart <laughs> and she says in the end not to be afraid of the wilderness because we are the wilderness we are the wilderness we are the wilderness it is our environment it's where we are designed to be and when we step into that and we can own that then we don't need to be afraid anymore and we realize that we are part of the wild we are wild nature ourselves and embrace it yeah what a place to stop yeah lovely to see you all again this month we'll see you next so bye for now bye for now see you next month Oh, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun full of badass reality and makes your heart sing so let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy let's recycle them into something fun and useful that's what badassery is about having fun and being useful if you'd like more get on my website www.ellensentier.com sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs let's get to know each other Let's get together, have fun, grow your life, and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires. <laughs>